Hello. Good day to you. Hi, Dan Benjamin. How are you, John? <clears throat> Mad. Mad? Why? What happened? I got pulled over. Oh, no. For, to- for talking on a f- cell phone. I wasn't even talking. I was just listening to an outgoing message. But in Seattle, that's illegal now to talk on a phone in your car. And uh, it's a $136 ticket. Ooh. And, you know, it was an interaction with a cop, which is, it's the rare interaction with a cop where you leave feeling good. Even someone like me who believes in the power of the law and believes the police are doing a necessary job. Yeah. They are just culturally, at least out here, just not very pleasing. Is it a hostile in kind of confrontational situation or what? No, it is. It's, um, it's that thing that we have now in America, which is called professionalism. Oh, where the professionalism is meant to, uh, to make the process efficient and to remove all personal, you know, or, you know, to remove all human wiggle room from any encounter. And you just, it's, I see this professionalism in all kinds of encounters with corporate America. Any, anytime you, you kind of approach somebody and say like, Hey, I bought this here and now I'm unsatisfied with the performance of the thing. You know, everyone gets very professional and that professionalism is, is supposed to be something that we desire. But in fact, it is off-putting and inefficient and imperious. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a thing that like people the whole ha- way of talking and the mm-hmm. sort of it it creates this strange, uncomfortable distance between you and the officer that's supposed to be professional, like you're saying, but in fact, just makes you feel like you're talking to an alien who's un- incapable or unwilling to speak in regular words. Yeah, it's. He's reading from a script and, you know, and customer service people are reading from a script. It's like this scripted encounter where over the course of the last 20 years, there have been enough situations where some policeman or some customer service person said something off script and that got them in trouble. And right. There was like a just, lawsuit as a result of saying yeah. that. So they've learned yeah. their lesson to never... Right. And so, you know, so the, the cop's not listening to me, but he's talking in this way of just like, burp, 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 you know, do you know why I pulled you over today? And it's like, do you fucking care if I know or don't? Like, is it going to change anything? Are we having a conversation or are you just running your uh, lines? Right. Would that ever, would that get you out of it? If, if you said, yes, I was talking on my phone and I'm not allowed, would that well, somehow yeah, I did. avail I did. you and of... He just talked right over me. I mean, mm. it's, it's the... um like I've been, I've had dealings with a lot of police officers in America and different cops in different places, you know, and there are, there are a lot of different police cultures and some of them, you know, like the police cultures in the South are, have a lot of institutional racism, but that's not to say that the police culture up here doesn't have institutional racism, but the police culture in the South, you know, those guys are chatty and they, and they like to bullshit. And, yeah. 
you know, and police culture in New York City. I mean, there are a ton of obviously like major issues about policing in New York. But if you walk up to a New York City police officer and you say, hey, I'm trying to find the World Trade Center. Chances are. The cop is going to go. Oh, hey, you're trying to go oh, World Trade Center. What's the matter with you? Can't you see it? It's right there. Hey, you know, let me walk you there. You know, like they are, they have not, I mean, and maybe it's a fact, uh, partly it is that in New York, you have to, you have to stay as human as you can, but also it's the culture of the cops there. Um, but out here, it's, you know, it's a combination of like liberalism and, sort of Northwestern efficiency and binders and binders of best practices and all this stuff. And it just creates cops that walk around like, not exactly like stormtroopers, but just they see their, they see inhumanity as being their job description, you know, right. They are, they are here and we are citizens and potential lawbreakers, and they are here to to police us. And that's why the Seattle Police Department is in such trouble all the time. You know, they just are, for, for a city our size and for a culture that says that should be as permissive as ours is, based on sort of the other, the other false idea of liberalism, that it's permissive, our cops should be friendly at least, you know, right. or you would expect them to be. And they're just not, they're just, um, and it's, you know, and that, that's the thing. It's not that they're necessarily unfriendly. It's just that they're not at all, uh, like humane. And so any encounter with them, you walk away just, kind of feeling like do i feel gross not exactly gross but resentful you just feel resentful from the moment they open their mouths yeah because they're condescending to you there comes one so now i hear they hear the siren back yeah they're out they're there they're out there keeping seattle safe they're probably pulling over another person on their cell phone and the reality is like i get it cell phone we decided that that is you know that somehow it is safer that you have both hands on the wheel yeah. and have an ear dongle right. in same phone conversation than it is to have, have be holding your phone up. And that's a, that's a $136 ticket. And I thought, you know what? I get it. I'm, I'm fine with it. But within that, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for a police officer to say, oh, you were trying to coordinate picking up your daughter after school and like, I get it. I'll let you go with the warning or, or even, you know, I'm sorry. I really have to give you this ticket because that's my job and have a nice day. Right. But just like reading from a script, you just feel like, all right, well, I can't wait for you to get replaced by a robot, frankly, <laughs> Robo a robot that, a robot that has a kind of, you know, that has harm no humans as it's, as it's primary, as its first protocol. Right. Isn't that? Isn't that RoboCop's yeah, first protocol? Yeah, the, well, it's in the uh, laws of robotics, a positronic brain. First law of robotics is uh, a robot may not harm or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. I see. 
So that would so, be a good first law for a, a sure. Cop if we robot. had that, if we had that <laughs> on there, I'd have no problem with cop robots. We've we're we're trying to Seattle cops are trying to act like robots. Why not just have cop robots? Sir, you were using your cell phone. That is automatic ticket. You know, and they wouldn't have to go through this dance of like taking my registration back to their car and sitting back there jacking off for 15 minutes. And then I wouldn't be late for my freaking podcast. Right. So this just happened like right on the way. I was on the way and I'm trying, you know, my mom is coming in from out of the country. Today's one of those days where it's like, who's watching the baby? Oh, shit. I thought you were, you know, the typical American half-assed parenting right and so i'm trying to coordinate all that on my way to my my delightful podcast recording (laughs) and i'm on a a little bit bad now i mean you know and i'm on an industrial this is the thing i'm on an industrial road i'm not i'm not navigating downtown traffic right on my cell phone and eating a sandwich and drinking a hot cup of coffee (laughs) right and putting your makeup on (laughs) i'm on an industrial road that has no stoplights and I'm driving the speed limit, and I'm not changing lanes. I'm just puttering along, trying to coordinate this on the on my cell phone. And I do not have an ear dongle because I am not a black man in his sixties, right? Nor am I uh, someone who walks around ta- having a very loud conversation in a cafe with an invisible friend. You know, like a fucking ear dongle. Come on. <laughs> Um, so I don't have one. And then it's like, oh shit, I need to make a call. And I guess, I guess what I should do if I'm going to be this difficult with the ear dongle is I should pull over and do my phone business. Right. That's what, that's what the Seattle police are telling me. I should pull over to do my phone business. Right. You should, you should pull over. You should make the call. Ideally even just have the whole conversation there. And if you really need to talk while you're driving, if that's legal, then you can do that. They've done these studies, I guess, that say that people's reaction time, if they're on a phone call, that their reaction time is slower than... Oh, I I think that's absolutely true, but the ear dongle doesn't change that. The ear dongle won't change it, but my question has always been, does that mean that your reaction time is slower if you're talking to a person in the car. So if you and I are driving hmm. somewhere. Right, right. Right. So let's say we, we're going to get a sandwich. Is my reaction time slower if you're in the car talking to me than it would be if you're on the phone and I'm talking to you? And let's say it's on the speakerphone in the car just to mm-hmm. be completely, mm-hmm. you know, above board <laughs> about everything. Like, is I that, feel like, yeah, of course. Your it's reaction slower. Time is slower. It's slower but, because you're not there? I don't get that. All day long... No, no, I think it's slower that I, I think it's equally slow equally that you are slow. on the phone and the person is sitting in the car. Right. But like like all day long I'm behind people who are obviously texting while driving. Yes. You pull up to a stop sign and then the person just doesn't go and you're like, Okay, it's, it's not gonna change colors, it's a stop sign and they're looking at their phone, you know. Right. Um, I don't know if Seattle police are giving all those people tickets either or two, but you know what? That's, it's not about them. It's about me. Right. And I was violating the law. And Do you I think if you could have got out of it anyway? Like if you cried or anything? No, I, he was, you know, he was, he said, may I ask who you were talking to? And I started to explain and he was not listening. His ear, his ear flaps were already closed. So I suppose I could have said, I'm on my way to the emergency room. Right. 
my father is dying. Will you escort me there? <laughs> but that's uh, probably the only. <laughs> uh, but the only short exception. of that, yeah. yeah. Short of that, like you know, because I don't think anybody in that situation is going to say like, "Oh, I was just talking to my old lady. She's just bullshitting and not, you know." Or, like I was calling my bookie trying to bet bet on the ponies. Like, yeah. Everybody's got a sob story, and mine isn't really much of a sob story. It just feels like a sob story to me because I have, you know, because I'm pretty good about not talking on the cell phone, and I picked it up because I'm trying to figure out this babysitting thing, and I didn't text her while driving. I called her and got her voicemail. And in the 15 seconds that I was performing that action, I just lucked into it, just mm. lucked into this $136 ticket. So I'm do you think I'm this could just be processing the, a lot of emotion. Right well, do you think this could be payback for uh, running those red lights at night? Like karmically? You know, somebody's, what was that conversation I was having the other day? Oh, uh, a, uh, I was, I was in a store and, the guy behind the counter wanted to engage with me. I handed him my driver's license because I was giving him a credit card. Yeah. And he wanted to engage me in a story about how when he moved to Seattle from Colorado, they charged him $90 <laughs> to change his driver's license over from Colorado to Seattle. And yeah. I was like, hmm, not a super interesting story, but but let's go. Like I'm I, I want to hear I want to hear what's What's bothering you? In 90 bucks, really? That's incredible. Right. That's outrageous. Yeah. That's what and he then, wanted. Yeah. And then, and we, we agreed that it was outrageous. We went back and forth three or four times about how outrageous that was. And then the kicker was, he said, well, I mean, you know, I did live out here for 10 years using a Colorado driver's license the whole time <laughs> and never switched it over. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait a minute. It seems to me like whatever that $90 fee was, it was you know, like not even close to the amount of money you owe the state of Washington. Right. For sort of trying to skirt the system for so long. Yeah. Yeah. You're driving around with a Colorado license. Uh, every time you, you interact with a police officer, you pretend that you just moved here. Like you should pay $9,000. Right. License. So, you know, do I, do I owe the city of Seattle $136 for, uh, for various infractions that I've never been prosecuted for? I mean, listen yes yeah and probably but i mean if we could go around and calculate all the infractions that people haven't paid for the karmic debt that people owe oh wow that would be actually be a great job collecting collecting on people <laughs> collecting on people's karm car, like unclaimed karmic debt Let's say, like, let's in how you that, get that email from, uh, or the letter that, like, you you may be eligible to claim some money that's been left to you. <laughs> this uh, is like the opposite of that. Let's say that our that our UFO overlords, our alien masters, said <laughs> we have a way of we have a way of <laughs> determining people's karmic debt because we've been recording every single person on Earth and have been assessing them, you know like according to 42 UFO criteria. And so we know all the people that have been paying more into the system than they've been getting out, which, you know, presumably there are some of those. 
and then all the people that owe and they owe and owe and owe and so there needs to be a, there needs to be a face to this office right there needs to be a a uh, like a czar right a karmic debt czar <laughs> wouldn't you want to wouldn't you want to get that job ah uh, i don't i don't know i i don't feel like i'm qualified. that would be no i don't want that job i feel like that would be an amazing job because you know all the all the Nebraska farmers that pay their taxes and and sit sit idling at stoplights in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> just paying into that bank, right? And you could go to them and say like, "Hey, guess what? Here's fourteen thousand dollars for for all the extra times that you have waited, all the extra times that you stopped at yellow lights." See if they, no, but you're onto something here because I think if people were rewarded for doing the right thing instead of penalized for doing the wrong thing. A lot of it would be like achievement unlocked in a game, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, I get this thing like it's my phone says stand and I stand like now I, I've unlocked some kind of achievement because I'm obeying my watch or something. Yeah. You know, like if it, now I have like a badge that you don't have because I stood up 12 times today and you didn't. So now I have a badge you didn't have. And I did and I did that for like 14 days in a row. I've got another badge you still don't have. And you know what? You may never get the badge. And there's no way to hack it so that you can just get the badge. I've got that. You don't have it. Ha. Huh. And I feel That's like right. if I was the guy that like didn't text at the stop sign and at the end of the day I could get a badge or something. That's way better than like, well, nobody's around, so I'm just going to like text right now and no mm-hmm. one's going to get me. Mm-hmm. You don't have a badge for that. You just are avoiding the penalty that you eventually no, you, will get. But, but somehow, somehow your phone <laughs> and watch would have to be monitoring you in such a way that they would say, well, you just put yourself out of the running for the for a good conduct medal for today. You know what? How far away? Have you ever used the Waze Maps app? Mm, I don't know. Because there's like the Google Maps, which is the good one. The Apple Maps, which... Not as good. Waze yes. is really great. And Waze, it's free. But like, I think Facebook owns them now. So they're reporting everything you do back to Facebook. But the point is, there's a lot of like crowdsourcing stuff built into Waze. So it'll know lots of other ways to get there. And it warns you if there's like uh, traffic or a, a, if there are like police doing uh, radar. It tells you all that stuff. So it's very oh, handy. I've, se- I've seen this in action. People have, people have, have showed me uh, Waze. Yeah. I've seen it. But it's, you know, like, I don't trust it. I don't not trust because, it either. Not because they're reporting to Facebook, but just because... It doesn't I seem just, legit. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't I'm totally possible. with you. And sometimes it's... It, well, it's... I will... If I'm doing, like, a drive, like, a long drive, I will just run... Have ways running, and it will tell me police ahead or accident ahead or whatever. That That's kind of cool. But I don't trust it for the primary. But, but one thing that's interesting about it and why I bring it up is if you're in motion... It knows that like the car is driving and it'll prompt you and say, you shouldn't do this while you're driving. And you can, there's a little option you can tap that says like, I'm the passenger and then it will let you do it. But how soon until we get to a point where like your phone, if it senses you're going 25 miles an hour, like it just, you won't be able to use it at all. I think the cops would love that. Well, they will, but I think, you know, I think that the self-driving car, is going to put all that stuff to bed. Self-driving car is going to, is going to change. It's going to revolutionize the world in such a way that the, 
we're not even going to have traffic cops anymore. They're going to go away. Yeah. And, and I hope they go into early retirement and I hope they have, I hope they have a hard time making ends meet because I'm mad at them right now. No, I can tell. I, I don't blame you. But I, I, feel to, like- I, 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 hope, I, I hope that all those traffic cops have to take second jobs as security guards <laughs> at community colleges <laughs> because they are, because they made bad choices in being traffic cops. That's, a, that's, a, they, they are shitty. I this just don't, guy. you know, you talk about not trusting ways. I love the idea of a, of a safer, cheaper electric car that, you know, self drives itself everywhere. But I just want to know that I can t- do a manual override on it if I need to. No, I want no. a manual override. If it's going to no. do something I don't like, I want to be able to hit that switch. And cause otherwise it's just like being on a private train car. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you want all, that? All, yeah, all of the complaints, all of the complaints about self-driving cars are all coming from sort of like, how are we going to integrate this with our current way of doing things? But yeah. I really do feel that the self-driving car wave, once it hits, it's going to sweep out all of the old way, and there's not going to be, you know, it's like you don't you don't have a manual override on your phone or your microwave or your right. But I'm not inside my microwave driving at 50 miles an hour. Oh, really? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like my life and the life of my family, like I want to, you know, like if you say like, there's someone flying the plane and even though they got the autopilot thing, they can, if they need to take over, like if the autopilot starts doing something wacko, they can take over. And I, I can tell you, I have a couple friends who are pilots they have told me that, oh, that happens all the time. I'm like, what are you talking well, about? They're like, oh, you've, you've got to override the autopilot all the time. Well, I know, but but aside from the Malaysian <laughs> uh, jet, which we still don't know exactly what happened. Right. Every single instance of planes crashing yeah. in, the la- in the last ever are uh, instances where I wish to God that the autopilot had overridden the crazy lunatic who was flying the plane. Yeah. Right. The, the crashes are all a result of either pilots, uh, making errors or, or actively seeking to destroy themselves or other human beings intervening. Mm -hmm. Like I really, I really feel like the, the, um, human error in automobiles is the source of all accidents, all traffic jams, all death and dismemberment. It's all human error. And when that, and it's very simple for computers. It's not a hard job for them to, it's a very hard job to do what we're trying to do right now, which is put self-driving cars into an environment where other cars are being piloted by humans. Right. Like that's incredibly hard and they have to work out all the technology. If, if, if Google was given like the opportunity to say like, okay, unlimited amount of money, all you have to do is make every single car in Seattle self-driving and, the, and here's the start date. And on that date, you will not be able to drive a manually piloted car in Seattle. It's all going to be autopilot. Google could do that using the technology right now and it would be, it could, they could roll it out that day and it would, it would work, it work pretty, pretty well, much yeah. flawlessly, yeah. right? Because the roads are just, they're, they all go in, you know, like they already have stripes painted on them. 
And all you have to do is it's a pretty it's it's pretty simple. The challenge is like, what do you do if a little old lady pulls in front of you without signaling? But but if it was all computerized, that would never happen. And the th- the thing about it is, it's not about like any one single piloted car. It's about the whole system of cars being part of a network, understanding their position relative to one another, moving in you know in sort of different pods that your car is now moving, drafting off of these 10 cars and then it's going to separate from them and draft with these cars. And like, I, I, I really feel like it's, um, right. It's the, what you're describing isn't the integration problem. If all of us, if we had no cars on the road right now at all, and we said, we're just going to populate these brand new empty roads with, these computer controlled mm-hmm. self-driving cars and everybody who wants to travel by car is going to be in one of these things done. Like we've got that done. today. We're ready to go done. Right. And so, and the thing is that right now they're going to roll those things out. BMW and Mercedes are going to be like, look, self-driving car and it's going to have a steering wheel. You're going to be able to override it. They're going to be like, you know, what if I want to go to the country and drive as a sports person, it's like that's fine. It's still you're still going to be able to drive your car as a sports person. Um, it's going to be a rich toy at first, but then Uber is going to immediately buy a hundred thousand of these things. Yeah, and as soon as that happens, as soon as the taxi cabs are autonomous, autonomously piloted. Mm-hmm. Everyone is going to see, oh shit, this is amazing. Like, I push one button on my phone, a little robot car shows up, it takes me where I'm going. Um, why would I, why would I continue to drive in my own car? And the prices, you know, the prices are going to be, I think, very competitive because. You know, Uber's not going to have to pay humans to drive. Right. Either will Yellow Cab. And so they'll they'll make it really cheap to do. And we'll all be like, whoa, it's it's cheaper to be in an autonomously piloted cab than it is to be in my own home. It's it's literally cheaper to to be driving around than it is to do almost anything else. All I want to do is just ride around in these autonomously piloted cars, <laughs> looking at my phone, sending text messages about childcare, and and I think that will be the thing that just pretty soon, like no one will buy a new car, and in ten years it'll be the transformation will happen. Big, it'll be a big wave. I think there's definitely a trust thing for the older. Ah, generation. Old people, you know what, Dan? Old people should go right into the grinders. <laughs> and I say that as a person that's edging into oldness. Yeah, you are. Old people go right into the grinders and make, you know, delicious food for the babies. Because old people are the worst. They stand athwart progress <laughs> with their old ideas right into the grinders. You are angry today. So angry. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, because I really, you know, and I, I, I'm not a utopian about this. I feel like the, 
I feel like the uh, autonomously piloted cars need a lot of government regulation. But, you know, people being afraid of them, fuck you. I don't, I'm not interested in your fear about them. Bring them, roll them out. They're going to solve everything. Not everything. But they're going to solve a, a lot. Like, what does the price point need to get to before you think the regular person would be interested and willing to try one of the self-driving cars? And they're all going to be electric, too, I assume. Oh, yeah, they're going to be electric. Yeah. And the thing is, what do you mean price point? Like, no one's going to own these things. We're not going to oh, buy you, that. Oh, you'll just go and get in one whenever you want one. That's right. It's going to be, it's going to supplant mass transit. You've got a big vision here. Yeah. It's, no one is, uh, uh, like, I honestly, when I sit and talk to my kid about, she's like, oh, you know, when am I going to learn to drive? And I think about when my parents taught me to drive and when their parents taught them to drive, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's kind of an American tradition for the last hundred years. Teach your kid to drive. And before that, I'm sure it was a tradition to teach your kid how to handle the horse cart. Right. But what I say to my daughter is, you may never learn to drive. I mean, I will teach you to drive because we are sporting enthusiasts. And, um, and I, think it, I think you should know how to drive. And we will we'll go out into the country and, and drive around on a closed cor- uh, closed circuit where old Alfa Romeos are used, you know, in the same way that people still race horses, there will always be people that are out racing cars in the mountains, but, um, but it will be an anachronism by the time she's in high school. And, I, and, and with, with, within my own family, we keep saying to one another, like, I'm pretty confident that, the next car that any of us buy will be the last car any of us buy. So we're, we have one more car to buy before the whole idea of buying cars is gone. I mean, I like that. I, th- I think that's great. I think cars are pretty terrible. All oh, they're the worst. They're the worst. And I'm always shocked by... Like, I never was really into cars. I, I wanted to be in the auto shop. I got into fixing cars. I got into all that stuff for a short period of time. I had like a stint of maybe a couple years right around the sort of tail end of high school, beginning of college. But I wasn't like sitting reading car magazines or anything like that. Like, I just sort of wanted to learn how to build and take things apart and build them back together again in, in, in a meaningful way and in a way that would save me money. Like I, when I learned how to do oil changes on my car myself and I realized that like I could buy, you know, $7 worth of oil and a $5 filter and I could save myself 30 bucks, like 30 bucks. That's a lot of money, especially if you're in high school or college and I could do this thing myself and just, just took like 30 minutes. I was like, wow. So I got really into that part of it, but I never sat reading car magazines or talking about cars and like the entire show top gear, every single human that I know, maybe except you, they all like that. They're all like, how can you not like that show? Well, how can you not just like it? Cause it's a great show. I'm like, well, I don't like, I don't like cars. I don't get into cars. I mean, if I own something, I want to own something that's good if I own, if I'm spending money on something, I want to spend money on something that's going to last and work well and all of that. 
I want it to, a car especially, I want it to be very safe because people are crazy. But I don't really like cars. I don't even really, I like the convenience that they bring. But it's like, I don't like, I don't like jet planes either, you know? And I just spent hours and hours and hours on one of them. And I don't, I don't like it. I don't like traveling on them. I, I like that I can get onto one and come out of it somewhere far, far away and have a good time. But I don't like anything about it. You're oh. telling me that there's no part of you that feels like um, the jet planes are neato? I mean, they're fascinating, especially when you're watching these things take off and land. I love the idea of it, but like, if, if I didn't have to commute on one ever again, I, that would be all right. If I could just be in the new location. Yeah, but what about neato? Like, what do yeah, you think is... Yeah, I'll, I'll concede that. Sure, they're, they're very neato. Well, so, but what really excites your neato reaction? About the plane, in a, being in a plane? No, no, not, not about planes, but is there anything that's, that, is there anything where you do say, like, where you let your neato feelings be your guide? Is it all mm. science fiction movies and Star Wars gizmos and stuff? I don't know. Because, I've lost touch with my, with my neato, I think. Really? I what, think well, I what, have. How do I get to find it again? When you were young... What did you what did you neato out about? Uh definitely like you're saying, like Star Wars stuff and little like if you had taken an iPhone back to when I was like a kid, I would have absolutely lost it. And I mean I lost it in two thousand seven when they came out with the iPhone. I was pretty blown away by that. And now I feel like I feel like it's just tough to keep pace with all the changes as opposed to like being thrilled by them. And I, I don't know. I think anything mechanical is still holds a certain degree of charm for me. That's why I love like the old watches. Like my granddad used to always have, he had very nice watches. And so do you have watches? Not anything really nice. I mean, I've got Timex watches that I bought at target. I do have an Apple watch, but it's not the same thing. Not, not at all. So, People get into guitars and drums, especially. Oh yeah, because they like that because it, it because it's it scratches this itch. Cars, watches, trains, planes. Um, what do you think all, is at the at the heart of that? Like, is well, it a, a humankind's desire to build something and make something? I mean, there we could talk about that for hours. I'm much more interested in where your, um, where your neatology, <laughs> neatology, <laughs> still, you know, where where how we can tap back into it. I mean, because I have I, I have a guitar. I can string it. I swapped out the tuning pegs for better ones. Okay, you know, right. like I've been right. playing guitar since I was 16, 17. Right. Terrible at it still. But still, like I feel, I feel like the, I feel like the the. Um, the like games and gizmos side of things. The um, what is Nito? The, well, maybe you can help me with this. What is yours? Oh well, that's the thing. I live almost entirely cocooned <laughs> in a thousand <laughs> onion layers of of Nito. Um, my 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 interaction with the world is is all about. Um, oh, that's Nito. Like ooh, let me see that. And so I personally love. Top Gear, even though, um, even though Jeremy Clarkson is uh, obviously like 
a, a total uh, wanker. Yeah. Um, and 85% of the judgments that they make about cars I disagree with. Like all the stuff that they think is cool, I kind of think is stupid. But every once in a while, they do something where they're like, okay, you know, for we're going to buy a car for a thousand pounds and we're going to drive it across Australia. And I'm like, awesome. That's pretty that, cool. That I mean, alone. I guess, I guess for me, the two things that are kind of neato, the two areas where I, I think I'm getting that from, and I just don't really realize it. One is with my kids and kind of experiencing the world through them and the ways that they come up with things. So that's, Something I, I guess as I'm listening to you talk about, I almost sort of take for granted so much that I forget it that everything with them is kind of really cool. The things that they do, the things they think of, the things they talk about, the way that they look at the world and discover something and how awesome and fascinating it is to them. I think that really charges me in a, in a cool way. So I think a lot of it has kind of been def- deferred in a way or that it's vicarious in a way. Right, Trent principle of transference yes the principle of transference for sure and so i like i like that so i i feel like a big part of it comes from that and the second i think because i become kind of cynical and jaded about a lot of the things that i used to think were really cool especially like the electronic gadgets and computery things that i used to just even just a few years ago be so into now you're jaded by? Well, not so much jaded as just not as jazzed as I used to be about it. Like right. Apple came out with a new phone. This one looks good. Maybe, you know, it's been two years. Maybe I'll get that one. But it's not like I used to just freak out about it. I just I couldn't wait for it. I couldn't wait right. for it. You know, new operating system came out. When? 30 seconds ago. Are you downloading it? Yeah, you know I am. Now it's like, mm-hmm. well, let's see if it's stable first. Maybe I'll download it in a week, maybe a well, month. Be- because we've realized that all of the promise, I mean, like everything, this is the, this is the, the problem of the, like, the machines what are they actually facilitating? Right. And it turns out that all that anybody could think of for them to do was to facilitate shopping. <laughs> right. So for, for several years there, it was like, Oh, these phones are going to revolutionize everything. And what they've really done is revolutionize shopping. <laughs> like, and, and Apple and Google, and they all have like, they all just keep sort of trending us back to like, well, isn't that, this is fascinating. Look at this new thing we rolled out. Won't that make shopping easier? Yeah. And that is the, that's what, causes that cynicism where you're just like, Oh, right. We still are ourselves and we still have no, um, we are still not very interesting. And all of these new, like these new gizmos do not change the fact that we are not interesting. They do not actually make, um, us, they do not bring us people. Yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't make it easier. We keep thinking and we have, and this is a thing humans have done for thousands of years is think that the, the thing that stands between us and, and being philosopher citizens, you know, like living in a state of, of, of like pure sort of enlightened, right, uh, right. like selflessness, the only thing that stands between us and that is X, right? We need comprehensive education. We need comprehensive, you know, we need, uh, we need to solve the problem of clean water or of poverty or, or of, 
of interconnectedness or of transportation or all these problems. And then once we solve those problems, each, each time we think, once we solve this problem, we can walk into the light. Right. right. And it's be, just that one more problem. Yeah. Be these philosopher, uh, like students of, of great ideas that humans are all meant to be. And at each successive level of problem solving, we're left standing there in an empty room where it's like, okay, now you've got clean water and abundant food and you are for the most part safe. And we have almost eliminated war and disease and frankly, injustice. And so here you go. And now you're completely connected to every other person on the earth. And what do you want to do? And it's like, Oh, these are cute shoes. (laughs) You know, like no one is, no one grabs the reins right? because we're just not that interesting. Um, it's not that we're not interested. It's that we are we are not that interesting, and so, but we're but we're just smart enough to know that like oh that's kind of sad that's kind of dull. Um, but even you know, even the best ones of us sit at home at night and and then <clears throat> you know get up and go to the refrigerator and start eating whipped cream out of the out of the jar with their fingers. And go, oh, God, am I really doing this? It's like, yes, you are, because you suck just like everyone else. Even the best, even the top philosophers are eating whipped cream out of a jar with their fingers. <laughs> late at night. All because of they are, everyone. Because they are fucking pig apes. <laughs> let me do our first sponsor. So that's why you're... <laughs> <laughs> let me do it. It's uh, it's Pond Five. If you're producing content online, there's no better creative resource than Pond Five. From video clips and motion graphics templates to music and sound effects, Pond Five has all the amazing media you need to perfect your creative prod- productions without exhausting your budget or your time. They support the global community of artists with some of the highest payouts in the industry. So what this means is you're going to find the highest quality and the most diverse content. People creators want. To, to sell their stuff and put it up on Pond5. Plus, they provide a royalty-free license that lets you use your media whenever and wherever you need it. It's fast and affordable, and even more so, they have a very special code just for listeners of this show, 25% off your next purchase. You go to Pond5, so that's the number 5, P-O-N-D, and then the number 5, Pond5.com, and enter Roadwork, all one word, at checkout. You'll be saving money and time and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful system. Go check it out. Roadwork is the code. Pond5. Thank you very much to Pond5 for supporting 5x5 and Roadwork. Now, <clears throat> explain Pond5 to me. They are, a, uh, they are a kind of clearinghouse of art where you can go as an artist and put your work there, and then you can go as a consumer of art and purchase other people's work there? That's right. So they do a lot of really cool things. They do uh, music. They do footage. They do sound effects. They do like after effects stuff like you could do on if you were doing like a making a movie and you need a little a little explosion thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Images, of course, at 3D models, like all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you go there and like, let's say that you're looking for, you know, some like stock footage of a uh, of a cash register. Right. Mm-hmm. You go to Pond5, you type in uh, un- you'd click footage because there's a little drop down. You pick footage. And then you type cash register. And then there's like, uh, I just did this, 575 videos of cash registers. 
Wow. Are you reading my mind? I was just the other day thinking, how am I going to (laughs) get some stock footage of a cash register? You were were just thinking that. Well, yeah, sure. It just seems like. So there's a video here of uh, people registering uh, for an event. They're being handed little tote bags Uh and they're uh exchanging uh their money. No, I get it. I get it. It's like, it's like a 1080p. It's based on the sort of antique mall, uh, like version of commerce. We have a big warehouse and then everybody gets a stall and they can populate it with, you know, like I could have a store on Pond 5, right? Where yeah. I put my music, but I also put all my old cash register footage and various, <laughs> right. and, you know, and my poems and my, um, and like photocopies of old letters of girls telling me to, to go screw myself and I could sell them for right. 20 cents. That's right. right? Yeah. You basically, and then you upload it, you set your price, and you earn 50% of each sale. Mm. So mm. it's very that's fair. A, that's a better deal than most people, most record companies. That's get. right. Pond5.com. I, well, I, I support it. <laughs> I support I'm it. Glad. And, you know, and I would support it even if they weren't supporting us. That's true. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the technology thing that confuses me about you, Dan Benjamin, mm. is that you are one of these people who sends multiple texts. Has anyone ever spoken to you about this? Has anyone ever? Uh, I think I know where you're. Go- you, I think I know where you're going with this. Whereas you, being of an older generation, might type the whole thing that you want to say into one text. Where That's you right. you you might say something like, "I am on my way here. I think this is going to happen. Would you care to do this at that time? If you would, let me know. Send." Whereas for me, each of those sentences or phrases will be a separate text message. Is that what you're talking about? That is exactly the issue that I am trying to address. Yes. Yes. I, I believe, and, that, and this may be a gener. I, I believe it is a generational thing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, uh, that texting is sort of like sending telegraphs. Right. Or, um, or shouting across a mountain valley. Where you, you know, it's very expensive to send a telegraph. Yeah. So you try and put everything, all the information into one with a minimum of waste. And then you send it and wait for a reply. Whereas you will send a torrent, a literal cascade of texts. And frankly, you have infected Merlin Mann. Oh. So he does this now. (laughs) I've changed that. You've, he didn't used to do that. He would send a text like a normal person and then wait for a reply. And the text <laughs> conversations would be like, hey, how's it going? What are you doing this afternoon? Do you want to uh, meet for coffee? Right. S- send. Yes, I am available for coffee and I will come find you. Where are you going to be? Send. I'm going to be at the following location. Send. As opposed to, hey, send. What's up? Send. <laughs> what are you doing? Send. Let's get together. Send. Where are you? Send. And so my phone is going beep, 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 or bloop, no, bloop, you're, I, or whatever. I'm looking, as you're saying this, I'm looking over our text messages. Yes. And I do, I do see yes. what you're talking about right here. Like when, when we were talking about your non-scheduled scheduled appointment, I, and I, my response is like I had like three or five. I said, okay, when would work? Afternoon, 12 Pacific time. But those are all separate little little messages and instead so when of just I, one. When I communicate with millennials on a right. text platform, which I occasionally do, yeah. uh, this is the way they communicate. 
And I always chalk it up to the fact that they are young people mm-hmm. and uh, they cannot, um, they don't, like, maybe they ha- maybe it's that they have their own way, but it's also that they are, like, uh, like uh, sort of um, venal monsters. They are, they are <laughs> terrible. Their pituitary glands are throbbing and they're just pushing, you know, like, send over and over because it stimulates some kind of... Um, some kind of thing in their pineal gland. I don't know, but I find it inexcusable when you do it and when Merlin does it. And so what ends up happening is if I get more than three texts from you in a row, I've just put my phone down. You're just done. Go, You're done. You're I, out. I go to, I go to the kitchen. I make a sandwich. <laughs> I say, listen, when he's done, when he's got all of his sentences out, then I will come back to my phone and I will, I will compose a reply. Well, I, I can definitely, you know, curtail that behavior easily. I, I don't just, know if you can. No, I, feels, oh, I can. Is that right? Oh, I can. But I think like with my, my mom will text me and she'll, the first text is like, hey, Dan. And I'm like, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. And then it, it'll show the little typing bubble. That will be there for 15 minutes while she types and edits and, and tweaks it and then sends an, a message that is you know, like a paragraph, like a full on, like right. edited paragraph. But she will still do the things that sort of like high school kids did about eight years ago, which is like type the letter U for oh, the word you or you are sure. for your and things like that. Very charming. Yeah. And then I'll get this long sort of dictionary uh, definition thing from her and because I know now she was an English professor and she taught college. So I think she's like, when I asked her about that, I'm like, what is with the you and the, you are, you're an English professor, mom. Like when I don't, when I forget what a gerund is, I will, I will call you and ask you. And she, uh, she's like, Oh, well, I guess I picked that up from, you know, from my students. And I'm like, well, when did you pick that up? She's like, Oh, it's you know, they still do it though. They still do it. I'm like, okay. So, like, to me, that, those two things of the long composing, a long uh, multi-sentence thing. So, I don't know where I've gotten in in that from. Are you suggesting, John, that it's a bad habit that I should, that I'm, that it's a bad habit I've picked up over the years and that I should change it globally? Well, I just wonder what, I wonder what millennial you've adopted it from and whether or not. I mean, honestly, do you think it's from using like a like using a chat client like Instant Messenger, uh, like you know, AIM or or GTalk or something like that, where you sort of have this ongoing, open-ended conversation with other people, or do you think it's because I'm uh, an, an impatient chatter? Well, this is this. These are all very good questions. I mean, I have I have discovered over the course of the years that um, a lot of the people that I interact with online are people who sit at a terminal. As part of their job. So right. for hours and hours and hours of the day, they are sitting at a terminal. And so their idea of what the internet is and what chatting online and on text, um, their ideas of those things are very different from mine. Because even though I'm sitting with my stupid phone and looking at it a lot, I'm still nowhere near uh, like online compared to people who sit at a sit at a terminal all day because they're just like uh really really wired and so for me like yeah when my when somebody sends me a text 
and I pull my phone out of my pocket and look at it, I would like it to be a complete thought. But that may be completely anachronistic if I'm if I am dealing mostly with people who are sitting just staring at a computer and in one corner is their work and in one corner is cat videos and in <laughs> one corner is their chat window right. and in one corner is you know their uh, Expedia travel plans or whatever i mean if they're super multitasky but i but so for instance do you ever fight with somebody over text i mean How- i tr- i try not to fight with people at all but i mean we, i definitely have had you know terse pithy conversations over over text where emotion was involved sure and so are you but i always fight- try to take it to the phone or in person are you fighting with people using this like fine okay then up yours like, <laughs> tiny no. little no and you things? know what now that i think about it if if i ever had to sort of have a discussion with someone over over text like that i would try immediately to switch to the phone or like an in-person meeting but I think I'm going to go the other way in that, and that then I will start typing very long blocks if there's like something, an important message that has to be conveyed to, over over a text. I'm going to start. I'm going to switch to the Roderick way of typing paragraph and paragraph and paragraph. Uh, you know, honestly, if there's when, like an emotion, when texting and emailing became widespread, yeah, it was a great relief to me because I could finally argue with people in a way where I really felt like I got my points out and they were documented and they were um, you could refer back to them and they were cogent right and complete and so I loved the the advent of these technologies because I don't like arguing with people in person but I do like I do there are things to argue about and within a text thread it's possible to um, to really make your point well unfortunately very few people share this feeling with me and most people when you get into an argument they're like we should just get on the phone and talk right let's just talk it out and I'm like, so we get on the phone, and then all of a sudden, there's no document of what we've been saying. Right. And you can, two minutes from now, say that you didn't say what you just said, or you can, you know, you can deny that you ever said the thing that even started this argument. And, you know, and we're into this whole world of like emotional, sort of manipulative tones and all this stuff. And it's just so much more, so much clearer to me that. The text allows you to, to have very formal argument and conclude conclude a thing together. But when I really reflect on my life, I realize that text arguing has not produced very good results for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I very, very seldom feel like we arrive in a place of like common or better understanding. And also, I have like completely burned three or four friendships based on some text arguments in the middle of the night. Well, text, I mean, it's so bad because even with emojis, you can never really convey 
any kind of real emotion or tone the way that a human voice can. And like before you were saying, what about like fine, okay, and that kind of thing. Like there was this really interesting article talking about the age differences in people who use punctuation when they text and Mm -hmm. how if using a period to a millennial, if you use a period, then that indicates kind of like a an angry emotion or it indicates like a uh you know like like you're being short with the person like would you like to meet here at this time yes fine period well you don't mean it like yes fine you mean yes fine but to 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 somebody who is in there who is not a millennial who is in their 30s 40s you're just using correct punctuation but to someone who's younger it's like well they said fine period so that was like fine, I guess we are meeting there. You know, you don't mean it that way. And I think that the whole concept of texting as a whole, trying to have a meaningful conversation in text or even in email. Um, one of the people that I work with has a sister who recently graduated from college and she considers the phone an email to be very, very formal and that anything other than just texting is considered to be like, a formal thing. And like, if you want to have a phone, well, we have to have a phone call. Like they don't want to even talk on the phone because it, it's too formal. Whereas just, just texting in these little blips, that's enough for people to communicate. I don't know. I, I just think texting as a whole for me, I never ex- try. I would never want to express any emotion at all by text. I want it to be in, in, informative an information delivery system with no emotion ever intended. Uh, it, unless I put in like a whole bunch of stupid emojis, then that might actually mean, you know, it, like for me, I think the exclamation point and an emoji is the closest I get to trying to convey anything meaningful <laughs> on a text because it just, I, I just don't like it. I feel like it's ineffective. It's, it leads to so many problems and so many more misunderstandings than clarifications. I feel like in in a text. Yeah, I know people feel this way, and I have I succumbed to exclamation point inflation a couple of years ago <laughs> uh, because it, and it wasn't even that that uh, that people were saying why are you mad, but I just felt that the lack of an exclamation point just felt very flat and very low affect. But you know, once you go past two or three exclamation points, how what what else do you have at your disposal? And emojis. Um, I don't think I've ever seen you use an emoji ever. Well, no, I don't because uh, I'm looking through people, our chat log right because now because they're the worst. I I feel like they are the worst. I felt that way for a long time too, and gradually, over time, I started to really. I think embrace it and maybe too much. Maybe I've embraced it too much. You, but I'm looking as I go back through these things, I do see a lot of one word answers from you. Well, yeah. One word answers like in answer to question, like no. Well, here, no. here's an example. Here's an example. I said, yes, I have to take my kid to school. This is me typing a long, a long answer. All right. Yeah. I have to take my kid to school at seven fifteen, then flat a couple hours later, but don't arrive until like seven thirty Pacific time. Your response barf. I said, uh, if I'd gone up Thursday, I'd have missed the whole day and the kickoff thing, but Friday or Saturday sounds good. Then the next message, I won't have a car. So I don't think I could get to Seattle. Next message. I'd have to try and find us a place to record. 
then I think a, a, a day goes by and I say, I think I found us a place to record. Would you want to record Friday or Saturday? Your answer doesn't matter. So right. I, did, I mean, just communicating with me is amazing, right? <laughs> yes, I mean, it is amazing. Super gratifying, first of all. And but, uh, so for two days, the only as I'm trying to plan a time for us to record last week's show, your some total of responses from you barf <laughs> and doesn't matter over two day over a two day span. All right, barf and doesn't matter. Now, if you if you wanted to start an argument with me. Then you would get some long texts back where I was like, here, here, the party of the first part disagrees with the party of the second part. But yes, for the most part, uh, I, uh, I do say barf a lot in response to things. And, um, and there's punk, there's a period after the doesn't matter. There is barf, uh, period. Doesn't matter. Period. Uh, no, that's the thing. I have stopped. Putting, I used to put periods at the end of everything, yeah, because that's what that's what belongs there. But lately, I have started to send words like "barf" with no punctuation because I feel like it looks better on the page. It's just sort of like a the bubble, the bubble just sort of is like "barf in a bubble," and you're just like, "Yes, barf in a bubble." Um, but I and I periodically have left, like I put an emoji on a Facebook post the other day. Not one that I did, but somebody. I was reading a thread uh, of somebody that I knew in Alaska who was like, remember back in the day when we used to skip school and go skiing? Boy, those were the times. And I was reading this thread of all the different people who were like, I skipped school so much to go skiing that I didn't even graduate. And then the next person would be like, I never once skipped school, but I always, you know, I would wait until school was over to go skiing. And, you know, all these different, you know, it's the cool kids and the nerds. Uh, talking about going skiing after school. Right. And then there was a post from Martin Molyneux. And Martin, sort of completely off topic, said, we were the first kids to ever snowboard in Alaska. We went up to Hatcher's Pass. It was me and Andy Baugh and Juan Gomez. And we were snowboarding on Burton Woody's up in, you know, like drove up to the top of Hatcher's Pass and snowboarding on these Burton Woody's back in 1985. We were the first ever. And it really didn't have anything to do with the guy's post about like, let's skip school and go skiing. But it was Martin establishing his bona fides as like first ever snowboarder in Alaska. And his little post reminded me that Juan Gomez actually tried to teach me to snowboard using that self-same Burton Woody. And I broke it. Mm. I broke his Burton wood snowboard <laughs> because a, I did not understand how to, how to negotiate my body in that way. And I still don't know how to snowboard. And uh, B, I was just too big. I was too big for the technology. And I, I actually like, broke the snowboard in half and it went and Juan was super bummed as you can imagine. And so I was like, who am I going to tell this story to? This is not a story that anybody is going to, they're not going to know any of the people. They're not going to care. I couldn't tell that story on a podcast, for instance, who would care <laughs> that I broke Juan Gomez's original Burton. <laughs> but Martin Molino knows he knows all of, he knows all the players. 
And so I commented on his comment, uh-huh. his already random comment on this guy's thread. I was like, you know, I told the little story. And then I got to the end and I didn't know like how to close it out, right? Like I broke Juan's board. Right. Am I sad about it? Am I happy about it? Am I, what am, am I trying to one up Martin with his, with his random story with another random story? And so I realized, oh, what this needs is a frowny face emoticon. Yes. And so, and the frowny face emoticon where it's like, oh, it's not, you know, it's not like I'm actually sad about this thing. It happened 25 years ago and I didn't give a shit about it even at the time. <laughs> but, uh, but it was exactly the right, like little, mm, yeah, I broke Juan Gomez's snowboard. <laughs> frowny face. Yeah. And then I noticed right away, Martin faved it. So, or liked it. Right. And so my job here was done. Like I had successfully Facebooked. That's exactly, you know, I just, I, I, I closed my computer and I said, my, my, I have done a good job of Facebooking today. Right. Like don't mess around with it. You used a frowny face emoticon to punctuate this, 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 uh, this comment on a, on a comment on another thread. Is it that it seems childish in a way? Because that's, that was my feeling for a very long time that putting an emoji was a childish thing to do. That that was a, my kids call my kids call them stickers. Yeah. I, oh, you put a sticker on it. So like my son, I got him. Uh, well, I didn't get it for him, but we had an a, like a original iPod Touch, and now that he's you know older and can read and can you know, use an iPad very much better than I can even and can type. I thought, Oh, you know, it'll be neat. I'll get him one of these. And if he ever wants to like text me while I'm at work, or especially if I go on a trip like this last trip, he was texting me on it and he uses emojis as most of his way of communicating. (laughs) It's mostly Uh what he does, Uh which I don't really care i mean he's you know it's fun chatting with my kids so however he wants to do it is fine but i used to think that it was like this is something for kids this is for children this is what children do but what i realized the value of it that i get is after realizing that the two the two primary complaints people always gave me about the way that i would chat or text is one that there's lots of Lots of and lots of responses from me to convey something that could be typed in one immense paragraph. So, you know, the five messages instead of one long one thing. And the second was that the things that I might type could come across sounding terse and pithy. But somehow adding that emoji there can help frame or set the tone of the message the way you just described. Like, how did I feel about that? You can soften the tone of a message that might not sound good, that even if you carefully try to carefully word it. So in a way, it's like Twitter is 140 character limit kind of forcing me to think in these smaller chunks of messages to to send and then adding the emoji. You, you know, what are you going to type? I feel kind of sad and also a little crazy about this thing that I just typed. So no, you don't want to type that. You want to put in the kind of sad, stressed out face or something. Mm. No, no, 
No, no fluffy nutters, re- no emojis. No, I reject it. I yeah, I feel like first of all, um, but this is you're talking a minute ago about embracing, you know, self driving cars and robot cops, mm-hmm. but you can't do an emoji. Well, because <laughs> because like your mom, I am a word person. Yes, I believe in the power of words, and I'm at I'm at odds with contemporary culture all the time about words. I mean, it's, I really feel like words are words are very powerful, and and that uh, you know that a lot of times we say words are words are powerful in this sense, but not powerful in that sense, and you know, and I feel like words are words are great. They're wonderful. They're so they are not just useful. They're like, I mean, I live entirely in words. And I know a lot of people don't people live in actions and people live in feelings, but like I live in words. And so words really, uh, do such a good job of, of communicating so much better than, than so many other things. And, and it's much more interesting to me to have someone over communicate in words and utterly fail to perform the accompanying action than it is someone who just does the action and and the work is done and let's move on. You know, like, I'm not saying that it's better. I'm not saying it makes a better world. Right. The people who just do the action and get it done and move on to the next thing and get that action done, those people are very necessary and great and they built the railroads mm-hmm. and they are the ones that, you know, like get the flag up on the flagpole in the morning and take it down at night but they are not interesting to me. I am not compelled by them particularly. I love the people who talk endlessly about things and use a storm of words to communicate simple matters. And like, that's, that's my, my world. And I think there will always be people like that. Uh, We are a subset of the human people and we use words this way. And hopefully we are useful to other people. And hopefully we create something in our word storm world that isn't just confusion and garbage. I'm not sure if it's true. There's a lot of confusion created by wordy people, but there's also a lot of clarity, I think, in the long run. And so the people who are like action people or the people who are emotion people, if they want to send emojis to one another of like a smiley face and then an eggplant and then a woman in a, in a mariachi outfit dancing mm-hmm. and then like a Saudi Arabian <laughs> flag and, right. a st- and a steaming pile of poo. Like, I don't know what it means. And I, and I don't, I'm not interested in, in deciphering the hieroglyphics because mm. I would be much more interested in the words. Now, I, I this part, I totally agree with you. I don't believe that there are people who will communicate using the emojis or emoticons as a way to express a thought or a feeling or something that's going on instead of as a, the way you did it, which was sort of like this helped color the tone of the thing that I just typed, which if you were to remove it, if you were to remove the little frowny face, your message would still convey the same meaning 
this was just like a like a little enhancement, a reaction yeah, almost. A little sad trombone. Right. Just like a, um, yeah, like a sound effect or something that you could play. You know, if you were to watch a great scene in a movie and it's a car chase, it would be exciting. The music makes it a little more exciting. And I feel like that's what you did. I totally, that's the same thing that I'm going for when I try to use these emojis. But there are lots of people I work with or think who are millennials or younger or using the millennial style of the emoji whereas they will you might type something to them and their full response will just be a sad face Mm -hmm. i'm like does does that sad face mean that you feel sad does it mean that what i said was sad does it does it mean you know like i Sad trombone sad trombone like what is is it is it patronizing like i really don't know and then I would ask the, the person, and sometimes what you said made me feel sad. I'm like, well, mm. do you feel sad the same way that you would feel sad if your beloved dog passed away? Mm. Or are you sad the way that you're sad, like, if you realize, oh, I forgot to pack a cookie for lunch? Or what, like, what degree? I don't understand it. I want the words. I want the words. The so words. I, I'm with you totally on that part. Well, and I, and I do feel like... Um, like I understand it, it, it's very fun for me to put uh, to put the to put the, the eggplant into a text message to a certain I have a certain group of friends that that use the emoticons but it, it's always ironically or, or at least it feels that way to me and so you know, yeah, sure. Uh, Amy Mann will comment on my Instagram page with a string of emoticons. I don't bother to try and interpret what she's saying. I just send some random string of emoticons back to her. And if she's trying to interpret what I'm saying, hilarious. Right. Makes that, or, or you know, or I will, you know, I'll, I'll put something together. But like lately, so I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by black Twitter. I spend a lot of time over in black Twitter sort of just as a, as a voyeur, really. Uh, but the use of the 100 sign, 100, the red numeral 100. Yes. Underlined, I guess. It's underlined a couple of times. Right. 100. I have no idea what it means. I've been watching it used now for a few years. Yes. It seems to mean like good job or 100% or it's a kind of yay. It's like a... It's like a three exclamation points or something, but it's 100. And so I have found myself occasionally putting 100 at the end of a text or a, or a post. <laughs> Typing it know, or the emoji? No, the emoji. Okay, okay. I don't know what I'm doing. I do not know what it means, but I'm, but I'm sort of imitating a thing I've seen. Uh, in, a, in a way, it may even... It may even fall into the category of cultural appropriation. Here's an emoji. It's sitting there. And even in the emoji menus, it's just randomly sitting there. It's not around a bunch of other numbers. It's just like a flag and a, and a popsicle and, a, and then in a 100. I don't know why. I don't know how we collectively or how, how uh, the various cultures that use 100 collectively decided that that meant a thing but it's it's unclear to me what it means but i am now employing it 
and I hope I'm getting it right. I hope that I hope that when I say 100, it means what I think it means. Right. I think I think the 100. Like, hooray or 100 percent or yes. 100 dollars. Well, since emojis, I've wondered this too because I see the hundred, and I I had to look it up at one point, and. Oh. It, you went on uh, Urban Dictionary or? Yeah, like the, if you just search like. I can has cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, I think it's called if I and I, I'm just Googling it now. So I'll put it into our into our show notes. But I believe that it's called the hundred points symbol. And I believe that because all emojis are Japanese, I think, in origin, they come they come from Japan. And there it was something that you just like here in, in America, how you might write a hundred percent if you got a perfect score, a hundred out of a hundred. Um, I think it means a hundred percent, but I think the, the slang term from it, what came from that is it, it can express, according to this page that I found, express pride or general acceptance of an idea. It can also mean keep it real. Mm hmm. So like the same thing where you would do like a fist bump to your chest, like I feel you or like, yeah, this, 100%. I see. Oh, I see. Like 100%. Like if you were to type something like um, rock and roll forever, you know, and I would, right. be, I would put the 100% up. Like, yeah, that. Totally agree with you, 100%. 100%. 100%. Yes. Okay, I get it. I, uh, I agree. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So I guess I am mostly using it right, Think but so. I just I just tripped into it. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say how much time I have spent studying the emoji menus. Yeah. And trying to find something there that's for me. Like, what are the emojis? It's kind of like back in the day when I decided for a brief moment that um, Jethro Tull was going to be my band. <laughs> I was like, Jethro Tull, man. That's going to be my band. When when did you decide this? About 1985 or 6. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Nobody, no people, a lot of people say Zeppelin is their band. A lot of people say, you know, the Beatles are their band. Right. Nobody claims Jethro Tull. And I'm just going to do it. Did they have more than just Aqualung? Oh, they had a lot of records. And, Were they any uh, good, though? Well, this is the thing. <laughs> I, I was pretty baked. When, when I made the when I made the decision, and then I spent a concentrated day listening to the work of Jethro Tull, and by the end of the day, I I felt like okay, I'm glad I didn't post. <laughs> I, I'm glad that there's no internet uh, because I didn't post that anywhere. I only said it to my friend Peter Nosek, and Peter just like shrugged and said whatever. And right. now it's not that hard for me to take that back and right. say. Peter's not even thinking about it, but if I go to Peter and say, like, you know what? Remember what I said about Jethro Tull? I kind of am rescinding that. Yeah. Like, he's not going to out me. To <laughs> he's going to be like, that's fine. Whatever. I didn't think that you were serious. <laughs> so I gave that a good try, right? But but uh, in the same way, I look at the emoji menu and I'm like, what is the, where is the Jethro Tull here for me? No, right. Something you, like, can, you can just... Always use, always yeah, have. My signature emoji, and I feel like, you know, where's the bearded guy with glasses? Where you could just <laughs> say, like, this is me, bearded guy with glasses. That's me from now on. And if I put that in there, it's that's my, like, digital signature or something. <laughs> right. Um, instead, it just, it's 
it's confusing in there. I look around. I go, well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, that's like the house is nice. I could put a house next to a tree. And then I'm like building a little, like a little Lego play set of emojis. And then I go, what am I doing? I should be shopping. (laughs) One of the things that perplexes me, or I don't know, that's probably too strong of a word, but you know, when we, we have hung out several times now, two times, and we've talked many times and it's interesting because like, I feel like you exist in the world in a very different way than most people exist in the world. And I feel like there's kinds of, I would put people, and I know this is wrong to do this, but I would put people in two different categories. People who are like into technology and then people who either aren't into it or see it as a necessary evil and they're willing to use it and they might even be good at it but they don't want to use it. And if you, if you offered them a world where they didn't have to use the technology at all, that they would pick that world. And so I would put myself in the first category as somebody who's like into technology, who uses it and likes it, not just likes it because of the benefits it might bring to your life, but likes it for the sake of the fact that it exists at all. And then I would put my wife into that second category in that, like she has an iPhone six and knows full well how to use it. And we have an iMac and she could do anything in the world. She wants to do on that thing without needing help really. But if you told her she could have the life that we would like to have and never have to use it again, she would chuck that thing right out the window. She doesn't like it. She doesn't get anything out of it. And I guess there's other people who just more or less just don't really care. But I feel like you're in a different category because it seems like you don't dislike technology, but you don't really. No, I like technology. But it doesn't like I'm always like I'll, I'll look I'll I very almost never use Facebook. But when I go to onto Facebook, you're very you're a very active Facebook user, and this for, I don't know why this surprises me, but it does. And like I'll see you tweet something, and you tweet I would I would say frequently, and then on Instagram you you'll do the cross post where you'll put something on Instagram, and you'll also tweet it, and you're taking a lot of pictures, and you have your your phone isn't just for when I must make a call. You're actively using your phone, and you're using it in the kind of a way that I use mine, which is to say. I saw something neat. I'm going to take a picture of it, but I'm not just going to take a picture. I'm going to share it on Instagram, but I'm not just going to share it on Instagram. If it's really good, I might also tweet it or put it on Facebook or you do all of these things. And it mm. seems like you like, you like doing that. But then some other times, like, especially if I'm, if I'm with you in person, the impression is almost like the, those things are an additional responsibility that you must, you must bear the burden of that. Does that make sense? Well, you know, I feel like the social media side of uh, the internet Mm -hmm. is like a great, it's a great place. It's a, it's been a great gift to me. Mm -hmm. And I do understand it for myself to be a, that's a wonderful evolution for people. Right. I think that it is a, it's a, it's a, it's a been a very positive step. For humanity, and we're just sort of navigating it 
all of the all of us who were introduced to the concept of the internet before the internet was actually real you know the, the this generation of people that are now in their 40s where right. we were talking about the internet a long time before it was anything in the in real space right i remember my first conversation about interconnected computers happened in the early 80s because I had a dial-up modem and I understood, I mean, and, and the limitations of that, of, you know, putting your he- handset into the cradle. <laughs> you had one of those. I had a handset into the cradle wow. modem. Wow. And that's like war there, games. Yeah. And there were not that many places in the world that you could call. And I was in Alaska. And so a lot of that, you know, you're talking about long distance charges, right? To make those phone calls, right? To connect with, with places, you know, uh, but I understood what it meant for us that one day your computers would be, you would be able to talk to people through your computers. I mean, I remember sitting down at the computer because we had an IBM PC 64k uh we had an extra disk drive installed in the empty bay so it had two disk drives so that you could copy because like you had to copy yeah come on one disk drive i mean we're not we're not basic model people we get deluxe model 64k probably cost forty five hundred dollars in 1983 money which is like fifteen thousand dollars now yeah but I remember sitting down in the basement and typing. I was writing a story and I wrote a risque passage. Ooh. And the fact that it was on the computer <laughs> made it even dirtier. Oh. And I was like, I kind of looked around the room. I was alone in the basement. And then I wrote, I was like, what would happen if I just wrote some like a really dirty story right now? And I wrote like a dirty story Mm -hmm. about a girl and a guy who were doing sex. (laughs) And I couldn't believe it. It was so (laughs) transgressive and hot. Just like, my goodness, this was hotter than any Playboy magazine that I was writing a dirty story on a computer. Now, if I had written it on a typewriter or with a pencil on a piece of paper, I would have been like, well, I don't know, why am I doing this? But, but on the computer, it had a different, it had a realness and like a, it could, you know, the, you could send this to somebody. You could put oh, yeah. this on a disc yeah. and give it to somebody. Um, I immediately deleted it, but it was there for a moment. And, so I've been thinking about the internet my whole life and the promise of it, not my whole life, but my whole adult life, mm-hmm. the promise of it was always that we were going to be interconnected and that that interconnectedness was ultimately the stumbling block between us and our intended lives as philosopher kings, right? This was the real, the real uh, obstacle. It wasn't clean water. It wasn't uh, an end to war. It wasn't even justice. It was connecti- connectivity. Once we could 
share our common mind, we could become then ultimately the intelligence of the single organism, Gaia. We are the intelligence of Gaia. We are the mind of Gaia. Mm. And, one, and the only way that we can become that mind is through this connected, we, we, need to, we need to build the neuronic network so that we can have an understanding and, and, and understand that we have uh, a single mind, let's say. And so now here we are. We are in the, we're in the very beginning stages, the absolute young earth, youngest moment of this idea. And, and I do believe ultimately one day that interconnectedness and, and the ugly side of it is, is the Borg, right? The, the, the thing we're afraid of is, is, is that we are, that we become a Borg. Right. But the, the, but the beautiful side of that is potentially like that will enable us to know, to, uh, to understand a purpose on a, on a cosmic scale. Do we have, do we, do we have a purpose on a cosmic scale? I don't know if we'll certainly not know in, in our lifetimes, but like maybe that's one way of expressing it. Maybe, maybe planets are organisms and when they become self-aware, then they interact with one another at a, at a, at a cosmic level. Who knows? But that stuff is exciting. And social media seems like the first, the first little tiptoe into those, shallow waters like here's me here's me here's me here's me here's me and (laughs) hopefully in the long term we will understand that we share with one another so much more than than we differ but of course in these early days all we do is focus on how much we differ. Like that's the, that's the only thing really we're interested in. And our individuality and our uniqueness and this group against that group. And, you know, like it's been in a funny way, it's been more polarizing, even as all the things that used to define polarizing, like actually state on state war and, and you know famine and all the things that used to kill millions and millions of people that went to their graves unrecorded and unacknowledged unrecognized yeah now we're now all of our uniqueness is you know increasingly like with every passing day what are there a billion people on facebook and i don't believe that that's true first of all but even i mean but we're on our way to that uh like it we are not trending toward a collective consciousness we are trending toward but 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 even even with this tiny you know even with every atom having its own unique individuality that it really feels like it has to express i feel like collectively we are starting to evolve a a greater or, or a sense of self as a as a as a collective organism I mean, what if this is in some way the natural evolution of intelligence mm, I think in, it is. In, in, the, in the universe that, you know, step one is like 
we figure out how to sharpen the end of a stick, you know, as step 10 is we invent social media and step 5,000 is we transcend the physical form or something like that. Sure. We've already decided that the way that we use computers now is distributive. Right. Right. The cloud. We distribute it <laughs> across, yes. you know, a million platforms and that allows us to, to compute more efficiently. Well, that's just what human beings are. It's just a distributed intelligence. And what we didn't have was, was real-time connectivity. Right. We were already doing that work and communicating with each other through books and songs. Uh, it was just slow because it took a while to spread the books around and only certain people read them and songs made their way around. Not everybody could hear those, but that was our way of, you know, distributing the, uh, the, the thought work. And then there were the people that were raising flags and, and, um, and building dams, but all part of the same sort of organism shaping its environment and, and preparing the, the agar for its thought, for its, for its real work, which is thought work. And now here we, here we have this great opportunity and we're all, we're all identifying ourselves to one another and saying like, hello, here are my ideas. Here are my ideas. And, you know, and of course we're, we're, we're arguing. That's how you figure stuff out. I mean, that's how you decide. But ultimately, like, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's a lot of work to have your planet then achieve consciousness and then recognize that it's alone in the universe. I mean, that's, let's hope that's not true. Let's hope we don't. That's a depressing thought, isn't it? Let's hope we don't achieve self-awareness as a, as a single entity and, and all this time that we've been sending radio signals out into the universe, like nothing ever comes back. All right. And we're just like, hello? Hello? I mean, and that's why we're so interested in colonizing Mars, it, just to give ourselves somebody to talk to. Well, at least we can talk to Mars. <laughs> You know, even if it's even right, if it's, it's just still us, just us, but at yeah. least we're on Mars now. Yeah, we just we gave but ourselves we got two a, planets a friendly face to look out at, <laughs> right? And and hear back from. And, right, we're not know, alone in the universe, but it's really just us everywhere you go. It's just us and us and us. But you know, a thousand years after we colonize Mars, they'll have a very different set of ideas. Oh, yeah. the, you know, the Martians will be like, "What? What?" Earthers. Earth. You know what? Eggplant. That's what we say. We say eggplant 100 to you, Earth. <laughs> uh, let me do our second sponsor. It, you, you remember these guys, the Wealthfront guys. Oh, yeah, Wealthfront. I'm very curious about, about Wealthfront. Let me tell you all about them. Wealthfront, they, they make it easy for anyone to get access to world-class or, or Martian-class long-term investment management. They're an online automated service that invests your money for you because, you know, you know, you should be investing your money for the long term for you or your family's financial health. And you've probably wondered, how do I do it? You know, try Look, to do it yourself. How, 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 how it's very hard. Eggplant. You, you can't just run down to Walgreens and, and invest your money, buy some stocks. No. 
I don't recommend putting them in vintage cars. Right. Your monies. <laughs> That's not the academically proven way to uh, to invest. But the the deal is that it's complex. It's time consuming, and you know you like you've thought about finding a professional. But the thing is, most investors that work with traditional advisors they get charged huge, huge percentages, anywhere from so I mean, their a, money like three percent. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. I mean, that's a lot that chips away into your precious uh, eggplant nest egg. Little bit, little bit at a time. They yep. take that money and they buy very expensive apartments on Central Park. Oh yeah. So whether you've invested uh, for retirement or a different long-term goal or whether whatever your goal is, Wealthfront can help you. They automatically rebalance your portfolio. They reinvest your dividends, and they do this all commission-free. And you can see every trade that they make on your behalf in your dashboard, anywhere you go, using your desktop or in your pocket. Well, now, wait a minute. If they app. do it commission-free, like how, how do they make money? How does Wealthfront make money? Well, they, they, this is the way that it works is instead of doing these little, you know, commissions on every single trade, mm-hmm. which is the way that most of the people do it. Oh, we, you right. know what? I heard about a really good stock. I moved your money over here. Aren't you happy? And then they, they've yeah. made this, they've made They're this commission. you dry. That's right. They do only a flat at point two five percent and, uh, and that's way, way, way less. But at oh, the same time, that's a time, negligible fee. It is at the same time, they are giving you all of the same tools and access to the same advice, everything that you are used to getting if you are going with one of these uh, big wig New York style people who are going to take 3%, you get access to all of that stuff. Uh, but you don't have to come in with a seven-figure investment to get it. And in fact, they have a special deal for 5x5 listeners. If you sign up to invest, they will manage your first $15,000 entirely free of charge for life. So that means in addition to never paying these commissions and having no hidden fees, and uh, you won't even have any management fees for that first 15K that you've invested. So go to Wealthfront.com slash 5x5. That's the place to go. Wealthfront.com slash 5x5. That's where you get the special uh, 15K uh, free uh, deal. So go there and check it out. And thanks very much to Wealthfront for making the show possible. And now I, I must do our uh, their disclaimer. For compliance oh, yeah. purposes, I have to tell you that Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risks, and there's a possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read the full disclosure. Past performance is no guarantee. No guarantee. None, none, none. Um, Wealthfront. But that's... That's that is that's that's super exciting. I uh, I I always I always imagine, <laughs> Dan, if I could go back in time and take an iPhone that still was connected to the future internet, right? If you went back in time, that'd be great. But now that we've had iPhones, right, you'd be so bummed. You'd be so bummed to go back to 1979 and be like, oh, what was the Shit, what was the stock that did really well this year? It was uh, the Hunt Brothers were trying to corner the silver market. I know that, but that's no way I'm going to get, I'm not going to get rich. I want to know what the stock was that was worth five cents on January 10th <laughs> and was worth $1,100 a share by, uh, you know, by March. And even if the stock totally crashed by June, you know, what you want is to know that, know that data. 
right? The, the big flash in the pan, the big movers. If you can go back in time, but take your iPhone and be able to do that research. Yeah. What was the best performing stock on the spring of 1979? Oh, how fun that would be. People would lose it. But you'd still have to be dealing with stock traders in the old school. Mm. Go sit in their office, sit on the phone with them. Tell them to move your stock monies around. Ugh. Whereas Wealthfront, if you had the ability, but the thing is, you they'd have to go back in time with you too. Yeah, like you'd have to connect to their their service. Well, yeah, but the thing is, you'd be wanting to buy those stocks in 1979. Mm. You wouldn't want to be buying them in contemporary times. Mm. Yeah, you wouldn't even need to do the stock thing. I mean, you could just go back and get some Star Wars toys. Yeah, but see, that's... that's just put them in their original box. Here's the thing. That's go, small. No, I know it's small. I know it's small. But it would be... See, that to me, that would Star be neato. Wars. That would be if neato. You, if you could go back in time, seriously, I would be trying to game the stock market and you would be collecting original Star Wars toys in their for original my kids, boxes. For my kid. Try, trying to fill up your time machine with these like these new old stock Star Wars toys? Yeah. Damn. I mean, That's not I, all I, I would do. I'm just saying, don't forget it on the way out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I'm, you I'm down with your stock market thing. All you'd need to do, you wouldn't even need to go back to 1979. You go back to you know buy some original Apple and Netscape stock, and you you do two transactions, you're done. If I could go back in time, okay, I would go back to when when Apple was new and cheap, and I would I would go to my granddad and I'd say, listen. Have I ever asked you for money? And he'd say, yes. I'd say, well, listen, I'm really asking you for money. Give, give me all the money you can possibly spare. And I would put 100% of it into Apple when it was at its low point. I'm 13 years old, but I've got a hunch. Yeah. Grand See, death. and that's the part that would be frustrating because I believe that if we could go back in time, there have to be some limits around it. And so I feel like maybe you could just take your consciousness back in time but you'd that would have be to easier. still be 10 years old and you'd have to convince the adults yes. around you like, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but I have special knowledge. Yes. And they would say, isn't he cute? And they would give you one crisp $100 bill and say, go ahead and invest it. Even that wouldn't be bad. Listen, how would you convince? Because I think about this constantly. If you went to sleep tonight and you woke up tomorrow morning and you were in your own, you were you as you are today, consciousness in the body of a 10 or 13 year old Johnny, Johnny, little Johnny Roderick, mm-hmm. how would you, what would you do? How would you mitigate this? How would you prove to people that you were really your future self? If you knew it for sure, if you could even remain convinced yourself that you were your, your adult self somehow, I think I would not try. I think I would, I think I would do my best to imitate the behavior of a 10-year-old whilst <laughs> consolidating my um, consolidating my resources. Yeah. And uh, Wouldn't gradually- it be frustrating, though? Didn't you hate... Did you like being 10 or did you hate it? I can't say that I liked it, but I didn't... Uh, you know, I did not have the the adult knowledge. Now, if I were ten now, yeah. but I had my adult brain, yeah, I think I could manipulate the adults fairly Pretty easily. Yeah, they wouldn't see you coming. No, and all you'd have to do is just be like, "Oh, here I am. I'm ten. I really <laughs> want some macaroni and cheese tonight." Meanwhile, 
you know, like going out into the world and, and, uh, and developing relationships where, you know, where you're securing your quadrants mm-hmm. and saying like, mom and dad, it's my birthday. All I want for my birthday is one crisp $100 bill. And they would say, really? You don't want Star Wars toys? No, I just want one crisp $100 bill. And then take those dollar bills and buy Apple stock. And, but also, you know, you could, I mean, as, as you would get older, you would, you would get more franchise and you would already have a plan in place. You know, nobody, a 10 year old walks into a stockbroker's office and says, here's $100, buy some stock for me. Right. They're going to be like, it sounds like a bad joke. A 10 year old walks into a stockbroker's <laughs> office. They're going to be like, okay, kid, let's get your folks on the phone. And to a certain extent, you could get your folks to buy you some stocks. And if you did it really well four or five times, everyone in the world is vulnerable to magical thinking enough that you could convince adults that you were a magic 10 year old that had the stock picking gift. Uh Uh, But then you would be under all this pressure. Everybody would be, you know, your folks would be staring at you like pick another great stock. So you wouldn't want to give it all away early on. Oh, right. Um, you know, you wouldn't want to become like a, uh, like a freak kid, (laughs) but you'd be laying (laughs) the groundwork. You know, you're laying the groundwork there. You've already been through your childhood, so you don't need to do that again. You don't need to watch your parents fucking fight out their their baloney again. You could be like, Mom, Dad, everybody can relax. It's all going to turn out fine. You know, I, for one, would do my homework instead of not doing my homework. And that would have relaxed everybody a lot. And then I could just set about gradually, you know, like building an empire. So that by the time I was 18, I could say, see ya, I'd be one of those 18-year-olds that like had a real estate empire. I mean, there are kids like that. Oh, yeah. I could just, I could just be one of those instead of the one that I was, which was like, I don't know how to do my laundry. I think that rather than do my laundry, I'm just going to throw away all my clothes. And then I'm going to be sleeping outside because I didn't think this all the way through. That was that, that. That was. I mean, you know, this, this trial run that I've made through uh, through one human life. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot, and it will come in really handy when my actual life arrives. Yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs>